And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer right here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf, and joining me in the studio today is the Reverend Mark Diedrich. Good to be here, Dan. Well, Mark, nice to have you. I see you brought your Bible. Yes. I'm looking over my shoulder here, and I see you actually have a very special Bible. It's called the Geneva Bible? It is the Geneva Bible. This is uh, this is not a facsimile, but it is a copy of the 1599 edition How of the Geneva Bible. Now, we were going to talk about uh, the King James Version today, but, but in general, I guess we're going to talk about various Bible translations. To get us started, can you describe that very one that you're holding in your hand? Right. Well, this Bible, the Geneva Bible, was first published in 1560, and it was a translation that was done when uh, Mary was uh, Queen of England, and of course Mary was known as Bloody Mary. Mm-hmm. And what happened at that time, because so many of the Protestants were being killed by her, a bunch of them left and went to Geneva, and one of them, especially William Whittingham, uh, got together with the others and started translating uh, the Bible into English. Now. It is not the first English translation, but it is the first English translation that has verses in it, mm-hmm. chapters and verses. Now, chapters had been before, but there had not been any verses. And so this is the first English translation of the Bible that had verses. And, of course, it not only had verses in it, but it had little notes along the side. And it, it had notes that uh, explain the passage a little bit. Notes that sometimes had a little bit of a comment on uh, mm-hmm. that could be construed as not being so favorable towards the hierarchy of the Catholic Church or the okay. Anglican Church either. So it became a very popular Bible. Yeah. Um, obviously, we live in America here, and so um, we look back to our, our forefathers who came to this land um, one of them certainly was uh, the Pilgrims and also the Puritans. Uh, as I vaguely recall, they brought Bibles with them. And what would they have brought along with them? They would have brought this edition of the Bible. That's what the I thought. The 1599 Geneva Bible. Interesting. That's what the Pilgrims used. They would not have used that liberal King James Bible. <laughs> no, I know we're going to get letters uh, from well, that one. <laughs> seriously, at that j- juncture... At that juncture, in 1620, 1621, mm-hmm. the King James Bible hadn't gotten that much traction yet, and there seriously were Puritans who felt that it was kind of a liberal Bible. Is that right? Yeah. I had no idea. Now, this whole general category of Bible translation, um, I'm excited about that, because I think about... Um, I know that your son is involved, and, and daughter-in-law right. are involved with Wycliffe Bible Translators. I had a friend um, early on in my career as a young engineer whose parents were with Wycliffe Bible Translators. Uh, we carry a feature here on this station every Saturday from Wycliffe, and I, I admire that group because they go in and they translate the Bible into the language of that people, what they call the heart language of the people. And so Bible translation is a wonderful, wonderful thing to do. That's a terrific thing. And and you see, the Bible is for everyone. God yes. wanted all people to be able to read his word. Now, in contrast to Islam, for example, where they don't feel you've read their scriptures unless you've read it in Arabic, mm. we see a difference 
we want to get the Bible in everybody's language. Yes. And we understand that translation is honored by God in that Jesus and the apostles quoted the Septuagint. Now, what was the Septuagint? The Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. And so if Jesus is utilizing a translation and the apostles are utilizing a translation, it's obvious that they feel a translation is okay, and Mm -hmm. we see it in the early church. There was a lot of translating going on in the early church, and a lot of the early uh, documents or the early Bibles that we have were in different Mm. languages that were right around that area. Mm Mm-hmm. But then we got to a period where the Bible was not translated. The only one that was official was the Latin Vulgate. And that occurred during the the Middle Ages all the way up until the end of the 14th century when uh, John Wycliffe went and translated the Bible into English. Now, let me ask you this. If... If I lived in that day and I and I was a Latin scholar, I knew Latin, was that Latin Vulgate an accurate translation? It was a pretty good translation. Uh, Jerome had done it, but even by that time in the medieval period, uh, there were a number of different copies of the Latin Vulgate which mm. didn't always agree with one another. Okay. So you had a guy like Erasmus came and he, he worked with them to get one good copy So, yeah, it would be an accurate rendition, you know, fairly accurate. Mm -hmm. Certainly, you would get the gospel in there. You would would get the basic teachings. However, it wouldn't be in your heart language because nobody spoke Latin at that time. And it was only a language of the scholars. Gotcha. Right. Now, um, we're here in the 21st century, and I'm sitting in the studio. I've got my hand on my New King James Version. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Upstairs, I have a... A new English version, which I hear is is a very accurate translation. But I wanted to say this: uh, when I was growing up, a young man, all that I had at that point was the King James version, and there is a certain majesty uh, in the language of the King James. And before we take our break, um, what is your opinion of the King James version of the Bible? The King James is a wonderful Bible. It is a great translation. Uh, the things that came out of that translation, which caused the translation, uh, you know, you look at the history of it and you understand uh, why it was translated. But it's been used by very many people. Mm-hmm. It's been a very good translation, and uh, I'm very thankful for it. But it's not the only translation. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I'm sure that there's going to be a few listeners that uh, will will take us to task at that because they're King James only uh, conviction, and uh, we want to stay friends with these people. But um, nevertheless, we're not King James only. Um, but we do want to affirm that we love this translation. And again, uh, growing up as a young man, when mm-hmm. I would do some Bible memorization, it was in the King James, and so. A natural um, step for me was to go to the New King James, which kind of kind of kept the same style, right. similar language. It drops the these and thous and that sort of thing. But um, so I've kind of grown accustomed to that one. Uh, now on the other side of the break, let's talk a little bit more about Bible translation in general. What are the goals, and are there? What's the difference between Bible translation and paraphrase and dynamic equivalency? All this stuff. Stay with us. We'll be right back. But to hear what you would say, word of God speak. 
We'll be right back with our program in just a minute. Now a reminder that your gifts to this ministry enable us to bring you thoughtful, Christ-centered programming 24 hours a day. Would you prayerfully consider helping us with a tax-deductible gift this month? Redeemer Broadcasting is a 501c3 not-for-profit broadcast ministry. We're entirely listener-supported and have no advertisements. If you would like to help support us this month, and perhaps in the future, our mailing address is Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Once again, Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Stay with us now for the second half of our program. And welcome back. You're tuned to A Plain Answer right here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining me in the studio today is the Reverend Mark Diedrich. Today we're talking about Bible translation. Perhaps you have a Bible in your home, probably many of them, and I would imagine that uh, if you have a number of copies of the Bible, that you may have different translations. Uh, Mark, to get us started here, can you help us understand some of the history of Bible translation and maybe some important uh, figures in church history who participated in Bible translation. Okay, well, I think uh, my knowledge, of course, of Bible translation, although I do know some of the early fathers that were translating the Bible in, into the various languages that they went to, really, in the modern era, it starts with Martin Luther. Mm. And it's uh, during the time of the Reformation, and, and here... Uh, Luther's nailed his 95 theses. He he goes to this what's called the Diet of Arms, and uh, they have a big discussion there on and his teaching. And he leaves there, and he's he's captured by friends mm-hmm. and kidnapped by friends and taken to the Wartburg Castle. Mm-hmm. He translates the the New Testament into German. Some people have said Luther has done for the German language what Shakespeare did for the English language. Mm. And so he translated, and eventually he would translate the Old Testament as well. That set the precedent. Then we have William Tyndall. William Tyndall realizing that the problem that so many people had, why there was so much ignorance and and so much immorality in society, is people didn't know the Bible. Mm -hmm. Just as you go back to Josiah, the last great king of Judah, and his wicked father had 
obliterated knowledge of the, of God's word. And when they clean the temple, Josiah finds the scriptures and he says, "Look at this. Hmm. We haven't done what God wants us to do." Amen. You know, and they had they had a, an awakening, a revival, if yes. you will. Back at that time. Well, this is what Tyndall is saying. These people need to know this. And so Tyndall did. I know we're not going to go into the story. It's a fascinating story of of how he translated the New Testament. He finished the New Testament, was working on the Old Testament before he was captured and burned at the stake. He really was. He was killed. In other words, he was killed for translating the Bible. For translating the Bible. You know, in our day and age, you can't imagine that being done, but that really happened. That's right. And his last words were... Opened the eyes of the King of England. Oh my. And three years later, King Henry VIII said, we need to have Bibles in all the churches in English. Praise God for that. And they did. And uh, a man who helped that using Tyndall's translation and uh, bringing it together was a man by the name of Miles Coverdale. Hmm. And so we have these translations, and the translation that was used and put in the churches was called the Great Bible. Because it was very large in size, mm-hmm. and they would chain it to the pulpits. They would chain it because yes. they were afraid it might be you People would walk off with it, yeah. Isn't that something? <laughs> yeah. And actually, uh, what would happen, and they, there's even stories of people who starting to read this and got so excited, and you'd have one individual who could read, and you'd start reading, and people would gather around. Mm-hmm. In what they would call the transept of the church, there were little side rooms there, mm-hmm. and they'd have the Bible there, and, and a person would be reading it, and they're trying to do a Mass in the other part of the church, and it's like, you guys be quiet over there. We're trying to do a service. <laughs> they're enjoying but, themselves. But these people were so thrilled to hear God's Word. Oh, yes. They would be listening to God's Word that way. And so when Mary uh, came into power, and then, of course, did away with all this, then we had the Geneva Bible that we started with. And uh, the Geneva Bible was very popular, and uh, you had a lot of people doing it, but there was a problem with it. And then this gets us into the King James. The problem with it was the notes on the side yes. that really kind of bugged some of the priests okay. and some of the bishops and some of the hierarchy. And so there was another Bible that was made, which was called the Bishop's Bible. Matthew hmm. Parker was uh, the bishop who was really responsible for that. But it never caught traction. Everybody loved their Geneva Bible. And so it was uh, that after Queen Elizabeth died, King James uh, came to power. Oh, there's that name. There it is, the King James. And he was uh, from Scotland. And so he's coming to be king, and so the Puritans, all looking at King James, who is from Scotland, where all the Presbyterians are, right? Mm -hmm. So they expected King James to be Presbyterian. Little did they know that King James didn't like the Presbyterians (laughs) at all. And, And so when they got to this Hampton Court Conference, you know, after being kind of pushed down by Queen Elizabeth and the Anglicans, they were hoping to to rise to power, and they they gave a number of suggestions. Could we have this? Could we have that? King James shot them down oh. every time. Yes, and finally says, "Well, maybe we need a new translation." Uh, one of the Puritans had suggested that, probably thinking that they wanted one translation for the kingdom, which would be the Geneva. But King James mm-hmm. says, well, "Let's have a new one." A lot of historians say that. This was a concession he was making to the Puritans. 
I think it was another slap in the face to the Puritans. That's interesting. Because I think he's saying, let's get rid of the Geneva Bible. Yes. And so because of that, uh, they formed a commission. Uh, Lancelot Andrews and Richard Bancroft were the two men who were the head of it. They had six committees. They worked on the King James Bible, and they finally brought that out in roughly 1611, Mm -hmm. 400 years ago this year. And so it was a a good translation. There were between 50 and 60 translators working on it, Mm -hmm. as I say, in, in six different groups. Men from all walks of life, most of them Anglicans, mm-hmm. some of them really sorry rascals, <laughs> and uh, some of them Puritans. Yes. And uh, and I think they came up with a, a very good translation. But it didn't get traction right away. It took a, a while before it took over from the Geneva Bible. And so we have a very good translation. It's two weaknesses. We are in the 21st century now, mm-hmm. and we don't use the English right. that was used back then. That's one weakness, and the reason for the New King James. The other weakness is, in the 19th century, we found some manuscripts that really predated by very many years the manuscripts that were used in the King James Bible. Mm-hmm. And so we have this additional usage of of manuscripts that have given us maybe even a closer look as to exactly what Paul and Peter Mm -hmm. and and the apostles wrote. And that would be, I I would say, its it's second weakness. Mm -hmm. Uh, Therefore, uh, there is room for new translations. As the translators themselves said, they they, uh, would desire improvements. Mm -hmm. When I was in, uh, I guess it was high school, um, there was something that came out called the Living Bible. And what kind of a category do we place that into? Right. How do I understand what that is? Yeah. The Living Bible was was brought out by Ken Taylor. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the exact date when he brought it out, but he wanted to make uh, that Bible much easier to understand. And so he developed what was called a paraphrase. He was not a translator, but he took the King James Bible, and he basically put it in simple English so his children could understand it. Well, that's an important point. So uh, here's a fella, out of the uh, kindness of his heart, responsibility as a daddy of his children, he wants to teach the Bible to his children, so he puts it into basically child's language that they can understand. Right. And he's not a translator. I don't think Ken Taylor ever claimed to be a translator. All right. Now, the New Living Translation does claim to be a translation. Hmm. Now, again, what the New Living Translation is, is a translation, but there's different focuses you can have on translation. You can have the focus of trying to be as close to the original language as you can get, Mm -hmm. or you can say, well, I'm not going to worry about the original language, what ideas were they trying to convey, and then let me convey those ideas. Mm-hmm. That we would call dynamic equivalence. Okay. And that concept is very close to getting to a paraphrase. Mm-hmm. Now, um, a really quick question in here, as we're talking about dynamic equivalency, um, is the uh, the New International Version, is that considered part of the tradition of the dynamic equivalency? 
<laughs> here, that's a good question, and why I chuckle is because yeah. it depends on who you talk to. Ah. You can talk to certain scholars. So let's look at a continuum, and now this is radio, so, so we're looking at stuff, right, mm-hmm. on radio. Um, on one side, you have the dynamic equivalence. The other side, you have the literal. Yes. And the most literal translation is Young's literal translation. Okay. If you ever try to read the Young's literal translation, you will understand only half of what you read because it gets so wooden. Yes. It gets crazy. But on the one hand, with the dynamic equivalence, you have it all the way on one side, and then you have the literal on the other. The NIV is actually... Um, depending on who you talk to, some will say it's a dynamic equivalent translation. Mm-hmm. But it's if it is, then it's probably the most literal of the dynamic equivalent translations. Okay. And then others will say, well, it's a literal translation. But it, if it is a literal translation, then it's more towards the dynamic equivalent okay, of so, that translation. So there's some different opinions right. there of the NIV. And uh, I've got a copy of the NIV here. I was never, I was never taken in by it too much, um, but I know it's very popular and people use it to this day. Um, another translation that I'm interested in, I see we're already running out of time, maybe this is the last one we can talk about, is the uh, relatively new, uh, what is it, the English? English Standard Version. ESV. The ESV. Yeah, and I've got a copy of that upstairs, and... Uh, that seems like a very nice translation, but it, I'm not a scholar. Help us understand it, that one. It is a very good. It is on the literal side. It definitely is a literal translation. All right. And it, it and yet it uses very good and flowing English. Uh, the committee that worked on that worked very hard, and they did make a very good translation. Hmm. And so we have a very strong uh, translation uh, with that. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the problems I do have with some of the new translations is when they try to accommodate societal norms. Ah, yes. In other words, when you take, for example, the very newest NIV that has come out, which is trying to eliminate all the sexism in the Bible. Ah, yes. Uh, that I have a problem with. Yeah. You know, let the Bible speak as Just it will. Just let it speak, yes. Yeah, or the New Living Translation, which wants to make things so simple, and this is the dynamic equivalent. Okay. The New Living Translation, for example, which is, you know, people can read it, but eliminates most of your metaphors. Mm -hmm. For example, if you take someone, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of the sinner nor sit in the seat of the scorners, you know. You've got those metaphors of walking and standing and sitting. They're completely removed. Oh, I would miss that terribly. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, I see we're out of time already. Um, A closing remark, what is the value of sitting down with God's Word and feeding on it? it, It's almost a simple question, but we need to just say this today. Here's the bottom line. The best translation does you no good if it sits on the shelf. Yeah. David says in Psalm 119, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That is so true. Mm -hmm. It's the guide for our living. It's the guide how we might please God. It's our way of communicating with God Mm -hmm. and Him communicating with us. Amen. And uh, it's of utmost importance. That's right. Well, thank you, Mark. It's been good to talk about Bible translations today. Dear listener, if you have a question for us, 
please email us. That address is ministry at redeemerbroadcasting.org. And also, this uh, entire episode is up on our website. Check us out at the website, redeemerbroadcasting.org. In the studio with me today, the Reverend Mark Diedrich. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Please join us again next week at the same time for another edition of A Plain Answer. To hear what you would say, word of God speak, would you pour down like rain, washing my eyes to see your majesty, to be still and know that you're in this place, please let me stay. God speaks.